0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Thank you, and welcome to the show Tonight we begin with one of my favorite shows, Our Miss Brooks now, the show, to me, embodied all the stuff of an entertaining half-hour of radio. Great scripts, great characters, and great actors. So let's start with the lead role, that of Connie Brooks, English teacher at Madison High, played by Eve Arden. Beginning her career on Broadway in the early 1930s, Arden's first major role was in the RKO radio-pictures drama Stage Door in 1937, opposite Katherine Hepburn, no less followed by roles in the comedies Having a Wonderful Time in 1938 and in 1939 at the Circus starring the Marx Brothers. Arden would go on to earn an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress for her role in Mildred Pierce, year 1945. In the latter part of her career, she played the sardonic but engaging title character of a high school teacher in Our Miss Brooks, winning the first Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. And here's something I wasn't aware of. She starred as the school principal in the musicals Grease in 1978, and then in 82, Grease 2. And the second lead in the show had to go to Gail Gordon, perhaps best remembered as Lucille Ball's longtime television foil and particularly as cantankerously combustible type-fisted bank executive Theodore J. Mooney on Ball's second television situation comedy, The Lucian Show. He also co-starred as the second Mr. Wilson in Dennis the Menace. The widely acknowledged master of the slow burn temper explosion in character, Gordon was the first pick to play Fred Mertz on I Love Lucy but he was committed to Our Miss Brooks as well as being a regular on several other radio shows and had to decline the offer. And now, here's tonight's show entitled, New Job Offer.
2: The sponsors of the Our Miss Brooks program, which follows immediately, wish to congratulate Mrs. Ray Thiel on winning the $49,000 first prize in the Colgate Palmolive Peat Company's 49er Gold Rush Contest. Mrs. Thiel, Secretary to Mayor Richard J. Marks of Norwich, Connecticut, Experienced the thrill of a lifetime when two armored car drivers strolled into her office and dumped $49,000 in $1 bills on her desk. The complete story will appear in Look Magazine's August 16th issue, which reaches the newsstands August 2nd. Palm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Most principals are quite strict when it comes to punctuality among faculty members, but our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High Summer School, has always believed that her principal, Osgood Conklin, is overly severe.
3: I could never understand why Mr. Conklin had such a passion for promptness until one day I learned that he was born at 5 o'clock in the morning and he's been early ever since. (laughs) Anyway, by last Thursday, I was determined to get to school on time if I had to stay up all Wednesday night to do it. Promptly at 6.30 Thursday morning, my alarm clock went off. Having been up all Wednesday night, I ignored it. (laughs) Then the phone rang in the hall, and knowing that my landlady, Mrs. Davis, was back in the kitchen, I sprang lightly out of bed and glided to the phone. Ouch! Ouch! Hello?
4: Hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Conklin. Are you up?
3: Sort of. What can I do for you, Mr. Conklin? Two things,
4: Miss Brooks. You can arrive at school promptly at 8 this morning, and once you get there, I want your promise that you'll concentrate on teaching English to your class instead of learning biology from Mr. Boynton.
5: Uh,
3: Why, Mr. Conklin, one would think that Mr. Boynton and I...
5: Yes, wouldn't one? (laughs) I think you should know, Miss Brooks, that the
4: president of the Board of Education is back from his vacation.
3: Mr. Stone?
4: Yes, and he's already chewed me out, complained to me about the lack of (laughs) in our summer sessions. Teachers taking time off for vacations, getting married, having children. Why, you teachers are acting more and more like... Like...
3: Human beings? <laughs> don't be egotistical.
4: <laughs> now, I'm warning you, Miss Brooks, if you don't stop fraternizing during school hours, I don't see how I can remain the same considerate, even-tempered, kindly superior you've all grown to admire. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh,
5: Mr. Conklin,
4: so I... That's all for now. Just get on the ball, Miss Brooks. And when you get
6: on it, see that you stay on it.
3: What does he think I am, a seal? Get on the ball No fraternization
7: Good morning, Connie Oh, good morning, Mrs. Davis Who was that on the phone? Mr. Conklin Oh, how is Osgood these days?
3: Horrible, thanks (laughs) He's getting more unreasonable every day You have no idea how fed up I'm getting with his dictatorial nonsense
7: You wouldn't have to take any of it, Connie If you had some other job you could go to Some other job? Yes You weren't born a teacher, were you? No, it just seems that way. (laughs) Weren't you once secretary to a mayor, Norwich, of Marks, Connecticut? No, but I was secretary to Mayor Marks of Norwich, Connecticut. (laughs) That's right nearby. Now there was a swell boss. Well, Connie, I've got a big surprise for you. You may be able to get your old job back just by calling him up. What? I just read where his present secretary won $49,000 in the 49er Gold Rush contest. That's the contest put on by, um, um. Some uh, big soap company, wasn't it?
5: <laughs> yes, I, I think it was.
7: So
3: much for living dangerously. Who won Colgate Palm
7: Olive Pete's contest? A <laughs> uh, Mrs.
5: Ray. Pete. <laughs>
7: Mrs. Ray Thiel. Mrs. Ray Thiel. She's the woman who's working for your old boss, Mayor Marks. With all that money, she'll probably quit her job at once. Well, what has that got to do with me, Mrs. Davis? Don't you see, Connie, if you'll just give him a call, Mayor Marks may offer you the position again. But I don't know if I want to go back to Connecticut, Mrs. Davis. You don't have to accept the offer, Connie. But once he knows you can work elsewhere, Mr. Conklin's attitude will be entirely different. Now, go ahead, Connie call Mayor Marks immediately. Oh, but... You don't have to pay me for the call until next month. Well, if that's the case. It will be nice to chat with his honor again. I wonder if he'll remember me. Uh, go ahead, Connie. With the receiver. All right, Mrs. Davis. So I just told her right out. Bertha. I said if we weren't such old friends, I wouldn't open my app like this. But even though I haven't
3: seen you in years... Excuse me. It's our party line. <laughs> it's just as well,
7: Mrs. Davis. I'd feel a little silly if Mayor Marks didn't even know who I was. But you said you got along fine with him, Connie. Now, don't be silly. You try again in a minute. I'll clear off the breakfast dishes. Well, that must be Walter Denton. He's giving me a lift to school. Hiya, Miss Brooks. Come in, Walter. As
3: you can see, I'm not quite ready to leave the house.
8: Oh, that's all right, Miss Brooks. We got time. Besides, I know plenty of women who'd give anything to look as good wearing an expensive dress as you look in that beat-up, crummy old bathrobe. Well, thank you, Walter, I think.
3: (laughs) Sit down for a minute, won't you? Here, read this Look magazine. I'm trying to place a long-distance call. Long-distance to who? An ex-boss of mine. I'll tell you all about it after I talk to him.
7: So then I said, look, Bertha. Duncan Gainsborough just ain't your type of fella. That's when she tried to stop me. Grace, she says to me,
5: I've always been your friend.
3: Excuse me for interrupting, Grace.
7: That's but I... all right, Bertha.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I know this
7: is your problem, but before you marry this man, you've got... Bertha, what are you doing on this line? I was talking to Elsie. <laughs>
3: Sorry, I was trying to get Agnes. <laughs> We've got the busiest party line in town I guess I'd better get ready now, Walter If you'll excuse me oh, a minute Oh, before
8: I'll... you go, Miss Brooks There's something I'd like to ask you Can't you wait and ask me in class, Walter? Oh, no, ma'am My question has nothing to do with English The question is Is a man who, because his daughter Happens to be in love with a certain other young fella Than who he might choose if he had to say so Over this girl Entitled to constantly kick this young fella From pillar to post?
3: <laughs> You're right, Walter Your question has nothing to do with English <laughs> Together you're talking about your stormy
8: romance with Harriet Conklin Exactly, Miss Brooks You know how fond I am of Harriet And because of this fondness I've tried to be patient and understanding But now I've come to a conclusion Yes? Mr. Conklin has got to go (laughs) It isn't that I mind his treating me like dirt so much It's a dirty way he does it How do you combat a tyrant like that? Or how do you avoid him? Honestly, if I were five or six years older, I'd leave Madison High.
5: You
3: may be seven years older before you graduate, you know. But I know how you feel, Walter. I've been thinking of changing jobs myself.
8: Changing jobs? What other kind of a job would you be good for? (laughs) Well, a nice way of calling me the ideal teacher.
3: (laughs) Before I'm led to the glue factory, Walter, I... I can go back to work as a secretary in Norwich, Connecticut. Mayor Marks can probably use me right now. Gee, Norwich, Connecticut. Oh, but what about Mr. Boynton? You wouldn't want to leave him, would you? I might not have to. As secretary to the mayor, I might be able to wangle a transfer for Mr. Boynton. He could teach there.
8: Oh, that's right. They do have biology in Connecticut, don't they? <laughs> in
3: one form or another, they must. <laughs> now, you'd better get on to school without me this morning. I've got to try that call again. Yeah, but you'll be late, Miss Brooks. What about Mr. Ooh, Conklin? <laughs> Mr. Ooh, Conklin will just have to wait. You know, I'm beginning to feel strangely liberated, and I like it. Connecticut is beautiful at this time of the year.
8: Gee, we're going to miss you, Miss Brooks. I'll miss you too, Walter. Well, I guess I'll be going now. Be sure and write, won't you, Miss Brooks? Of course I will. Goodbye, Miss Brooks.
3: Bye, Walter. It'll be good to see Mayor Marks again.
8: I wonder how
7: he looks. Well, Connie, did you place your call yet? No, Mrs. Davis, the party line's been in use. Well, You better get dressed and go to school now, Connie. I'll call the mayor for you and let you know what happened right after I talk to him. All right, Mrs. Davis, but before I go, I'll try it once more. So I says, Bertha, I says, you've been so busy in the office, how did you ever find time to have a baby?
3: Believe me, Grace, while you've been on the phone, Bertha could not have had triplets.
2: Well, when Walter Danton left Miss Brooks, he was convinced that she had a job waiting for her in Norwich, Connecticut. Arriving at school, the first person he ran into was Harriet Conklin. After hearing the news, the first person she ran into was her father, Madison's beloved principal, Osgood Conklin.
9: So you see, Daddy, Miss Brooks is practically set in this new job.
4: But she can't leave now. Mr. Stone's back from his vacation. Only yesterday he was chewing complaining about absenteeism. <laughs> First, our music teacher, Mrs. Jensen, trots off to visit her sick mother. Then Mr. LeBlanche needs an operation and fritters a week away in the hospital.
9: <laughs> but that's not your fault, Daddy.
4: I'm afraid the head of the board doesn't agree with you, Harriet. You should have heard Mr. Stone yesterday. He actually threatened me.
9: What did he say, Daddy?
4: He said he'd, he'd have me pounding a beat in Brooklyn. <laughs> Miss Brooks leaves, he may even investigate some of the wild rumors flying around this school that I'm a, uh... A... Tyrant? Thank you, my
9: dear.
4: <laughs> if he decides to... Inve- what do you mean, tyrant? I've always tempered my power with justice.
9: Look, Daddy, I know you mean well, but well, Miss Brooks is like a thoroughbred, tense and high-strung. You've got to give her her head sometimes.
4: I'd like to hand it to her on a plate sometime. <laughs> Don't you realize, Harriet, that you're asking me to be gentle with a woman who has single-handedly jacked up my blood pressure 25 points?
9: (laughs) But don't you see, Daddy? If you don't want her to leave, you've just got to be nicer to Miss Brooks.
4: Well, I'll think it over. Now, you get to her first class and give the students something to study. Miss Brooks is late for a change.
9: I'll take care of it right away, Daddy. And when she does get here... When
10: she does get here, I'll Uh, uh, uh,
9: take... Remember Mr. Stone and Brooklyn. Goodbye, Daddy. Well, hello, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. Do you think you should whistle so loudly, Miss Brooks? We're right outside Daddy's office, you know.
3: Harriet, I've got a little message for you. Whistling in the hall is just the first of a long and distinguished line of violations I've got planned for
9: today. (laughs) This, in a word, is Independence Day for Constance Brooks. Look, Miss Brooks, please don't do anything until you've talked to Daddy. He's waiting to see you. Very well, dear. I'll toddle into his den for a moment.
4: Here I am, Miss Brooks, right over here. Oh. Oh, I came as fast as I could. I thought you were whistling for me. (laughs) Now, about your being late today.
3: About my being late today, so what?
4: (laughs) Nothing, my dear. I just wanted you to know that I consider it extremely admirable of you to get here this early. After all, you must have hurried your breakfast terribly. Huh? Your... (laughs) Your health comes first, you know. You mustn't let your sense of duty or your proven loyalty to me upset your peace of mind.
3: Am I in the right school? This is Madison High, isn't it?
4: Of course, my dear. And I am Madison's principal. Your principal, Miss Brooks, who prides himself above all things on his ability to ease the path for those members of his faculty, nay, his family, who are tired or run down. And <laughs> You you may deny this, Miss Brooks, but you need a respite from your school duties. You still have a zest for living, an enthusiasm for things outside your work. I know you have. Oh, but I... By many's the day I've watched you from my office as the final bell rang and you left your classroom. How I chuckled as you galloped through the halls... (laughs) ...toward some cheery rendezvous with Mr. Boynton. It did these old eyes good to see you hurling the pupils to right and left... (laughs) Ah, what a sight it was. Their little heads bobbing like ping-pong balls as you flailed at them with your handbag.
3: Now, just a minute, Mr. Carver. I
4: I want to rekindle that enthusiasm, Miss Brooks. That's why I insist that you take the morning off. Off? I must be. (laughs) I mean, run over to the gym, get yourself a bathing suit and take a nice sunbath. Then, when he's finished with his class, meet Mr. Boynton. Have a bit of lunch together, or go for a stroll around the campus. It'll do you a world of good. Well, what do you say?
3: I can only say what my dear old grandmother taught me to say at a time like this.
4: And what is that, Miss Brooke?
3: Never look a gift, Conklin, in the choppers. I'm off to the jail. <laughs> Me, Mr. Boynton, but now that you've dismissed your class, I thought I'd say hello.
6: Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. I was just... gosh.
3: Oh, Mr. Boynton, what are you blushing about?
6: You're in a bathing suit. I better turn around.
3: <laughs> oh, don't be so modest, Mr. Boynton. Turn around again and live a little. <laughs> taking a sunbath outside the gym, Mr. Boynton Uh,
6: Please, Miss Brooks I consider sunbathing on school property highly irregular Now, now if I may change the subject
3: Why change the subject? What's so terrible about my wearing a bathing suit? You'll just turn around You'll see that this is a very modest little number Although it doesn't quite cover my knees
6: (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right, but I... Say, that, that looks stunning
3: I borrowed it from the domestic science teacher I'll bet this was a racy little job in the gay 90s.
5: I like
6: old-fashioned bathing suits. Say, that one even has a bustle in the back, hasn't it?
3: No, and now you can change the subject. (laughs) Or better yet, why don't you change into a bathing suit and we'll go halfies on the sun?
6: (laughs) Well, I like the sun, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's certainly
3: done wonders for me. When I came to school this morning, I was fit to be tied. But now I love the whole world. Why, I even love Mr. Conklin.
6: You've been in the sun too long, Miss
3: Brooks.
6: (laughs) (laughs) That is, I'd like to join you, but you see, with two of our teachers temporarily out, Mr. Conklin's asked me to assume their duties in addition to my own.
3: But that isn't fair. Oh,
6: I'll be relieved pretty soon. It seems that one of our female teachers had some idea of working in Norwich, Connecticut but Mr. Conklin's carrying on a campaign to keep her here.
5: A
3: campaign?
6: Yes. It uh, it doesn't sound ethical to me, but he says that as soon as it's too late for her to get the job in Connecticut, he's going to work her like a horse.
5: I I wonder wonder
6: who the teacher is. (laughs) Miss Brooks, what do you mean by that?
3: Just what I said No wonder he was so sweet to me this morning Take a sunbath, my dear Run over to see Mr. Boynton I'm glad I've got that other job waiting Make a workhorse out of me, will he? Miss Brooks, where are you going? I'm going to gallop over to Mr. Conklin's office And plow him under
4: Hello, principal's office. Be brief, please.
5: (laughs) Hello,
7: Osgood. This is Margaret Davis. Is Miss Brooks in her classroom?
4: Uh, No, no, Margaret, she isn't. I sent her out to take a little sunbath. Healthy teachers are happy teachers, I always say.
7: That's very considerate of you, Osgood. Would you give her a message for me when she comes in?
4: Of course. What is it?
7: Just tell her that I spoke with that party on the long-distance phone, and the whole thing is off.
4: That party? I'm afraid I don't understand.
7: I'm sorry, Osgood, but it's a highly confidential matter. After all, Miss Brooks wouldn't want everybody to know that the job she thought she could have had as Mayor Mark's secretary in Norwich is being kept by Mrs. Thiel. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, I'm afraid I've said too much.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Not too much, Margaret. Just enough. Goodbye, my dear. But, Osgood, I... said goodbye, landlady. (laughs) So, there's no job in Norwich at all. Well, maybe now our little whistling tea kettle will shut her spout for a while. (laughs) Now, 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 Osgood, mustn't lose your temper. Remember the old blood pressure.
3: I've got something to say to you, Mr. Conklin.
4: Oh, you have? Have a seat, Miss Brooks.
3: Never mind the acting, Lionel. What I've got to say, I can say on my feet.
4: Good. Good. I've got something to say to you, too. But, of course, ladies first.
3: I'm afraid I'm not really a lady, Mr. Conklin. If I was, those words couldn't have occurred to me as I approached this office. Such as? Slave driver.
4: Mm-hmm. Bully. Yes. Uh, ogre.
3: Uh, uh,
4: uh, how about tyrant?
3: Oh, by all means, tyrant. Tyrant.
4: <laughs> Does that complete the list, Miss Brooks?
3: Temporarily, yes.
4: Fine. Now you can listen to my message. Miss Brooks, although you consider me a tyrant, I think you should know that I am a very special kind of tyrant. What do you mean? I happen to be Miss Brooks. The only tyrant
5: you've got! <coughs>
4: oh. <laughs> Control yourself, Osgood, what's that pressure, boy? <laughs> you see, Miss Brooks, Mrs. Davis called while you were sunbathing on my time... To inform you that there is no job open in Connecticut.
3: No job open,
4: but... However, since you seem so fond of secretarial work, you can take these reports home and type them neatly in triplicate. And one more thing, Miss High and Mighty, don't you ever again dare to talk to me in the loud tone of voice you assumed this morning. Is that clear? Yes, it
3: is, Mr. Conklin.
5: (laughs)
7: Well, that's half of it. I'm sorry you have all this extra work to do, Connie. I can't help feeling it's my fault. Oh, it couldn't be helped,
3: Mrs. Davis. I should have known Mrs. Thiel wouldn't give up her job just for a few measly (laughs) (laughs) $49,000.
7: Mayor Marks was very nice on the phone, Connie. He said that if any other desirable position came along, he'd let you know immediately. Oh, I'm afraid he was just letting me down easy, Mrs. Davis. Oh, gosh. I'm sleepy. Why don't you take a little nap, Connie? It'll make you feel much better. Here, sit down in this rocker.
3: Mm, Thanks. This certainly feels good. You know, Mrs. Davis, sometimes I think I should never have left that job in Norwich. Why, I might have won that $49,000. If I'd stayed there longer, I might have gotten into politics. Mayor Marks will have to retire someday. Who knows? I might even have become...
6: Your Honor, Mayor Brooks, I've got to talk to you at once. Of course, Boynton. What is it? As your personal bodyguard and constant companion, I insist that you hear this bulletin.
3: I'm listening, Boynton.
6: I love you, Your Honor. Love you madly, desperately, cruelly. Love you, do you hear?
3: Just through one ear. Better do a rebroadcast for the other one.
6: (laughs) Oh, my darling, come out from behind that desk you so wonderful, so desirable. Come, let me hold you in my arms, Mayor, dear.
3: Just call me May. It sounds more feminine.
6: <laughs> or perhaps you think me too bold. Maybe I should strive harder to control my passion. After all, yours is a position of trust. You're a high public official, the mayor of this city.
3: The mayor, yes, but I am also a woman.
6: And what a woman. <laughs> <laughs> <Ruff>. <laughs> Pardon me for baying at you, my sweet, but I I just can't resist you. Put your arms around me, my darling.
3: But, Boynton, this is my office. Someone might see us.
6: Let them see us. I'd kiss you on the roof of the Chamber of Commerce. The steps of the City Hall are right on Main Street.
3: Try my lips. There's less traffic there. (laughs) Wait. Wait a moment. What was that? What? I thought I heard panting outside my door.
6: Oh, that. That's just Alderman Conklin. He's been waiting to see you for eight days now.
3: Really? Really? Well, take off his leash and bring him in.
6: Yes, Your Honor. Hello, Your Honor.
4: You're nice, nice honor. How is your sweet, kind, glorious mayorship this lovely afternoon?
5: Mm. <laughs> Down,
3: Conklin. What is it you want? Be brief.
4: I want to tell you something, something I think you should know. Yes? There's been a mutiny. The people have rebelled against your tyranny, and in a free election, a free democratic election, I have just been elected governor of this state. Governor? Oh, no. Oh, no. They can't, they can't elect him governor. Okay.
3: No, Connie. No. Wake up, Connie. Huh? Hmm? What? Oh. Oh. Oh, I'm so glad you woke me, Mrs. Davis. I was having a daymare about Mr. Conklin. <laughs> I better wake you, Connie. This wire just came for you. Oh, let's see it. Well, it's from Mayor Mark's secretary. It says, "Dear Miss Brooks, can offer you important position in local firm. This job pays double the salary you receive as a schoolteacher. Please answer by return wire. Signed, Mrs. Ray
7: Thiel. Why, Connie, that's wonderful. Are you going to accept it? No, Mrs. Davis, I'll have to turn it down. Turn it down. But what's wrong with the position they're offering? It pays double your salary as a schoolteacher. That's what's wrong with it. I can't afford to work that cheap.
2: And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks.
3: Well, my dream didn't come true, but Mrs. Ray Fields did. And if you want to know just how she felt, be sure and get the August 16th issue of Look Magazine, which reaches the newsstands August 2nd. Congratulations, Mrs. Thiel. And I'd like Mayor Richard J. Marks of Norwich, Connecticut, to know that I consider him a swell ex-boss, and I'd enjoy meeting him sometime.
5: Good night.
2: Next week, tune into another Hour of This Book Show, brought to you by Parmalade Soap, your beauty hope and Lustre Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Gloria Blondell. (laughs) For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamond speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Stay tuned for Nero Wolfe next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now for Nero Wolfe.
11: Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery adventure. Nero Wolfe's office, Archie Goodwin speaking.
12: You're up. A... And you've lost your... Oh. Archie,
10: the answer is no.
12: Hold on a second. The answer to what is no, Mr. Wolfe?
10: I shall not attempt to find a blonde for anyone.
12: You've got the man on the phone a little wrong, Mr. Wolf. He's not looking for a blonde. He's looking for a prize fighter.
10: <laughs> Indeed. Have him come here.
12: Okay. Mr. Wolf will see you at eight. So long. I was all set to argue with you about taking the case. You, you gave in too fast.
10: Nonsense. I'm fascinated by the thought of anyone misplacing a prize fighter. They're usually
5: quite large, aren't they?
12: They are. But what this guy is worried about is not only finding his boy, but
5: finding him alive.
11: Ladies and gentlemen, it's the bulkiest, balkiest, smartest and most unpredictable detective in the world, that chair-born genius, Nero Wolfe. Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet.
12: The case of the deadly sellout. That's what my boss, Nero Wolf, called it. And it almost meant curtains for the firm of Wolf and Goodwin. But let me give it to you straight right from the beginning. Although you ought to know that it wasn't until it was all over that I knew the very beginning of it myself. It all started in the New York flat of one Brock Rainey.
13: Yes?
14: My name is Jerry Fay.
13: I'm supposed to know you?
14: Being a very good friend of Paper Gatto's, it's time you got to know me. May I come in?
13: Mm, Sure. You've got a problem, Miss Fay?
14: Debbie took a fall at the garden last night against a coffee and bum named Eubanks right?
13: As far as I know, Sister Gatto met his match.
14: Please, Mr. Rainey, do me a favor. Skip the sausage meat. It happens I saw the twelve hundred bucks you counted out to him to take a quick dive in the first.
13: Mm, you did.
14: How else would I know?
13: Okay, then here's my wrist. Slap it, Miss Faye. I'm a bad bull.
14: Now look, who's kidding who? I don't care if Peppy makes himself a few deals on the side. I should worry whether he gives those meat eaters on the benches a run for the ducats. What's it to me?
13: If you're not worried, sugar plum, then neither am I. Also, I'm a very busy man.
14: Not too busy to pay off, I hope.
13: Pay off? To who? To me. For what?
14: For keeping it to myself that you collected five grand from the Eubanks crowd for getting Peppy to take that dive. Certain people might not like to hear it. Miss Fay. Yeah?
13: Drop dead.
14: I don't think we understand
13: each other. Which is just as well. Now get out of There's here! Go on, el-
14: Bimbo. Okay, Mr. Rainey, have it your way. I'll go find someone with a more sympathetic ear. Someone like Lawson, Arnold F. Lawson. So long.
13: Wait. Where does Lawson come into this?
14: You asking a stalling. Lawson dropped a sizable piece of change on last night's two-step.
13: No. Close the door, Jerry.
14: Oh yeah, twenty-five thousand dollars to be exact. That's a lot of corn to lose because a cheap fight manager arranges a frame. At least Arnold Lawson might think so. Sit down. Who's tired? Look, Mr. Rainey, it goes very simply in only one way. Lawson, at yet knows from nothing except that your boy Gatto lost the fight. He may suspect, but he don't know. And he really don't have to know.
13: Glad to hear you say that.
14: And I'll be glad to see the shade of 3,000 long green banknotes. How much? You heard me, three grand.
13: Get out.
14: Okay, I'm going to the next phone and call Lawson.
13: Look, Jerry, give me timer. I haven't got that kind of dough right now. I Tell
14: gotta... it to Lawson. When he gets through with you, you won't need any kind of dough.
13: You know, I've got Gatto set for a go with Mellish, the title contender. Gatto can take him. Please believe me, he's going to take him. So? So after what happened in the Eubanks fight, the odds on Gatto will be like a war debt. We can clean up. Listen, we can
14: make a... Hill, I wouldn't trust you from 11.59 to midnight. Get it up, Now. I'll give you six hours. After that, Lawson. So long.
10: Come on, come on. Hello? Hello, Rainey, this is Gatto. Hiya, baby. Look, the boys dropped in on me at the office at Mindy's. Lawson wants to see me. What? Look, Bum, I'm the one with the cauliflower ears. You heard me, and what do I do?
13: Nothing. But... Don't go near him. Stay home. Let me take care of it. How? How? What do you do? I don't know yet, Pepe, but I'll find a way. How did he find out?
11: Your girlfriend.
13: What? She she wouldn't do that. She hates the guy. Hate him or love him, she told him. I I can't believe it. I... I suggest you call our little doll Jerry and give her your regards for the double
10: cross. Meanwhile, stay put in your apartment. Don't move. But Rainy...
13: <laughs> Hello? Hello?
12: 75... 3. 319... mm
10: three Archie. What on earth are you mumbling about? The high cost of blunt. Indeed. Oh, you can say that again. I have no intention of doing so. Okay, be
12: smug. But there must have been a time even in your life when knick-knacks from Tiffany figured on the budget. eh? Uh, not to mention steak dinners and champagne. Or what did you feed your girls? Peppermint lozenges? Nonsense. Nonsense? He preferred lime. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm dying and he laughs. laughs. Mr. Wolf? Yes? I have decided that you are giving me a raise.
10: Archie, this is not a period in which uh, unilateral decisions are wise. So
12: I'll be a dope and get a raise, huh?
10: As for your future mental attainments, you may be right. As for a raise... You want to drive me to gambling, like betting on fights or
12: going... Okay, it's the doorbell and I'm answering it. The name's Rainey. You're Goodwin? I'm Goodwin. Come in. Is Wolf in? Mr. Wolf is always in. Unlike prize fighters, I guess. Come on. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. This is Mr. Rainey, the man who lost his prize fighter.
13: How do you do, sir? I'm not doing so good,
10: Mr. Wolf. You got to help me. That will depend on what? The fee? <laughs> I digress. Your problem is what, Mr. Rainey?
13: Mr. Wolf, I manage a fighter named Gatto. Maybe you've heard of him. I have not.
10: However, that is of little significance. You are having difficulty with this Mr. Gatto?
13: I'm not having difficulty with him.
10: I can't find him.
13: Uh, Maybe you better let me give you the whole picture, huh? Very well. Well, Gatto is an up-and-coming boy, Mr. Wolf. He had a little upset last week with a guy named Eubanks. But everybody knows, in spite of that, Gatto's heading for the big time. I think he'll prove that when he goes against Mellish. Mr. Mellish being another pugilist, huh? Uh, That's right, Mr. Wolf. Now, Peppy, that's Gatto. Peppy was due at the Turf Club this afternoon to meet the opposition management and go over the setup. He was due, but he didn't show. I waited all afternoon, and then I started the phone calls and taxis. The results? No results. I combed every joint I ever knew him to buy a beer in, and the score was zero. Matter of fact, nobody's even seen him for four days.
10: You would have tried the gymnasiums naturally? I did. Does this pugilist have a home?
13: Yeah, 206 A. Rathburn Street. A penthouse on the roof. He was not at home during all this time? It's where I tried first. It was empty as a bank on Saturday afternoon. I see.
10: And you want me to find him for you?
13: If Pepe blows this fight, Mr. Wolf, it'll ruin his career.
10: And the preservation of his career is worth a good deal to you?
13: I got a check for two grand right here.
10: Archie? I'll get it. Two
13: thousand dollars.
10: Very well, Mr. Rainey. I shall take immediate steps.
13: I got a cab waiting outside. We can get started right away.
10: We? Oui? <laughs> I shall remain here. But how do you expect to, Archie? Yes, Mr. Lo. You will leave, Mr. Rainey. I need information. You might try the Rathbun Street penthouse to start with. But I've already been there. Lord, you apologize, Mr. Rainey. Suppose you restrict your activities to pugilists. Archie is a trained observer. You are not. Archie, you will pick up whatever you can at his apartment. I especially suggest a careful check on his wardrobe. Wardrobe? If his clothes are missing, Mr. Rainey, it would indicate that he left voluntarily and deliberately. For whatever reasons he may have had. If they are not, Archie, you will phone me from the apartment after your investigation is over. Okay. I shall in the meantime devote some thought to the subject.
13: Huh? For two grand, all you're going to do is devote
10: some thought? Mr. Rainey, if I were not a modest man, I would point out to you that you're getting quite a, <laughs> a bargain.
13: got off. he's not here. I told you that. I was up here before. He left the door unlocked. I had a key. Guess I forgot to lock up after I left. Now let's look around bathroom? Yeah. Mm.
12: Empty. Mm. It's a nice penthouse. Is that a closet?
13: Yeah. What do you think? He's playing hide-and-seek? Try it. Okay. Anything in there? Nothing I'm looking for.
12: What's that you found? A hat. Well, let's see. A lady's hat. Yeah, smart and expensive. Label reads a yet Yetta original. That bunch of lace and feathers cost somebody a fast half a hundred. Yeah, Probably
13: one of his girls left it behind.
12: And maybe she'll call for it. Come on, we'll take a gander out on the roof. I took a
13: gander out there. It's bare as a bone.
12: Uh-uh. What have we got over there with the chimney?
13: Where?
10: Over there.
13: Uh, just an old awning. Got blown down in the storm last month. Yeah. Be right with you. What are you doing?
15: Looking under it.
13: Oh, brother. Yeah, you found him.
12: Yeah, we found him, chum. A little late. Two holes in his dorsal development and dead as a clay pigeon.
13: Yeah. Well, what have
12: you got to say?
5: Well,
13: now at least the bookies will cancel all bets. We both save our dough. Yeah. I gotta phone Mr. Wolf.
12: And there he was, Mr. Wolf. Under the old canvas awning.
10: Hmm. Where's the hat? Oh, this is
12: it. Mm-hmm. That's it, boss. <laughs> Snazzy number, no?
10: Where'd you find it?
12: On the
13: floor of the closet.
10: You're right, Archie. Frothy little bit of millinery, caprice. Mm-hmm. Have you any idea whose it may be, Mr. Rainey? I
13: wish I did.
10: You have to find out. Well, how, boss? The hat is an original. See? The label under the band reads a Madame Yeda original. Tomorrow morning, Archie, you will interview Madame Yetta. Yes, boss. And discover in your inimitable fashion for whom she made this chapeau. Hello? Archie again, Mr. Wolf. For your instructions, I have just talked to Madame Yetta. What did you learn? Madame Yetta tells me she
12: made that hat for a Mrs.
10: Larson. Who is Mrs. Larson?
12: wife of an ex-beer hustler is in the chips and puts on airs.
5: Lives in the penthouse of the Bradford Arms. I was just about to hop a cab and go up there, boss.
10: Good. Keep this up, Archie. And through sheer practice, you may yet develop your full-blown intelligence. Well,
5: I'm trying, Mr. Wolf. And after the Lorsons, I do what?
10: Return here immediately and hurry. <laughs>
15: Oh, Mr. Goodwin. My secretary tells me you're a detective.
12: My boss might argue with you on that, Mr. Larson. Your boss? It happens I work for Nero
15: Wolf. I see. And you wish to see me about... About this hat. Hat? Oh, I see, yeah. Well, Mr. Goodwin, please believe me, I never wear hats like that. Would your wife be likely to say the same? My wife? Just what are you getting
12: at? Would I seem too nosy if I asked how well you and your wife know Pepe Gatto?
15: How well do we know who?
12: Pepe Gatto. The pug?
15: No, no, not such a pug. No, huh? <laughs> I lost 25,000 on him in the Eubanks fight. He asked me, he laid down like a dog. And did you talk it over with him? Talk it over with him? Never seen the man in my life. Not even at the fight? No, I placed the bet over the telephone. I'd scarcely have anything to do with a character like Gatto, Mr. Goodwin. You surely won't from here on out, Mr. Larson. What do you mean? Gatto is dead. You don't say He was
12: murdered last night. Murdered? And what would you say, Mr. Lorson, if I told you that this hat is your wife's and that it was found in a closet in Gatto's apartment?
15: Now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Are you implying... Not implying. Facts are sticking out. What time was this dumb brute done away with? Oh, I'd set it at somewhere between 5 and 7 p.m. last night. You said it very conveniently, thanks. Why? My wife and I drove out of the city at 4.30 yesterday afternoon. Didn't get back until two this morning. And this hat? It took wings and flew into Gatto's closet? Is that the answer? No, that's not the answer. Then what is? This is. A month and a half ago, I was with Celia on a bus stop. She was wearing that hat, and the wind blew it off her head. I see. And from there, we figure that somebody picked it up,
12: and it finally wound up at Gatto.
15: You can figure anything you please. Personally, I don't feel in any way obligated to figure anything.
3: Darling, I was just on my way out and... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were busy.
15: Yes, I am busy, Celia. Wait a minute. He's not all Run that Run along busy. now, dear. You'll be late. But I want to talk Run to along, you. Celia.
3: Yes, darling. Sorry.
5: I'll see you later.
15: Beautiful. Really beautiful. I've always thought so, Goodwin. You uh, didn't give me much of a chance to talk to her, did you, Larson? If I didn't, it's for your own good. My good? I don't get it. Celia's a sensitive person, and I won't have her bothered.
5: And
10: do you mean to tell me you let him scare you? Let him scare me? Say, will you stop
12: being so fearless with my life? The guy said don't bother my wife, so I didn't bother his wife. It was that simple.
10: Apparently his wife is not blonde. Answer the phone, Archie?
12: No, you answer it. Now you've hurt my feelings.
5: Oh,
10: well. Hello?
14: I want to speak to Mr. Nero Wolf.
10: Mr. Wolf speaking.
14: Oh? Is it true that you're interested in the Gatto murder?
10: Who are you, and how do you know he's been murdered?
14: The second question is none of your business. And as for the first, call me Jerry. J E R
10: I. How do you do, Jerry? J E R I. Where do you call?
14: Would you like to come to an auction? An auction? You know, going, going, gone to the highest bidder.
10: And what are you placing on the auction block, Miss Jerry?
14: A few facts. All in good condition and guaranteed to make it a cinch to snag the Gato Killer.
10: Sounds promising.
14: Only you'll have to bid against real money.
10: May I have the address of the auction room?
14: You'll have no trouble finding it. Your assistant was there last night. Where? The penthouse on top of 206A Rathburn Street. The big item goes
5: on at four bells.
14: Yeah? Who is it?
5: Man named
12: Wolf sent me. Just a sec. Hmm. You're Jerry, huh?
14: I was expecting the man named Wolf.
12: Unfortunately for me, honey, when he's expected, I usually show up. Come on in. You? See, I'm the legs of the combination. He's the brains. It makes, uh... Makes a nice division of labor.
14: I see. You came in plenty of time.
12: On the nose is our custom. Where are the rest of the bidders?
14: Any second now.
12: Mm-hmm. How many besides me are coming? One. Small auction.
14: But big action.
12: How'd you happen to decide on this?
14: I knew Gatto pretty good.
12: And you were fond of him pretty good, huh?
14: How did you guess?
12: Well, you've got a key to this place of his, or you couldn't let yourself in. It adds, no.
14: Gee, you should have been a detective.
12: Just what I keep telling Mr. Wolfe. Look, tell me, Jerry, darling, this other person who's coming to the auction, who? The killer. You don't say. You sure the killer isn't here already?
14: Look, I didn't kill him.
12: Ah. The story you would like me to believe is that you witnessed the killing, huh? Called the killer and Mr. Wolf and said, come on, kids, you can get me either to talk or shut up, depending on who pays the most, isn't it?
14: Something like that.
12: Mm-hmm. Okay. Prove you know what you're talking about. Who is the killer? Is it Block Rainey?
14: You should also have your head examined, pretty boy. I talk for dough and only for dough. Not that I'm mercenary or anything, but...
12: Okay. Okay, tell me this. How come you saw the killer in the act?
14: Simple. I was here with Gatto. Called me to come see him. While I was here, the shot came through the window there from the roof. You
12: know something, sweetheart? What? I can't understand how a girl like you, a pretty nice girl under all that uh, paint and powder and Broadway shellac, how you could do a thing like this, you were in love with Gatto. Oh, I know that. Everybody does. And still you're willing to keep your mouth shut if the killer pays enough. How come? Hmm? What's the matter, honey? Did I hit a tender spot?
14: I... I don't think you understand. Sure, I was in love with the goof. Then along comes this other dame. She's rich and beautiful and she has everything to give him.
12: Ooh, do I know her? Of
14: course you do. She's... Oh! Jerry! Oh! Jerry.
5: She was just about to tell me, and then the shot came through the window from the roof, boss. It's a flat roof outside.
10: You didn't, I suppose, see the murderer? No.
5: I caught Jerry in my arms by the time I laid her down on the couch and got out on the roof. The killer was gone.
10: Get right over here and bring our client with you, if you can find him. Rainey? That's right. He has a right to be in on the kill.
5: Okay, boss.
10: But keep away from that beer till I get there. Don't be impertinent. I shall be busy phoning Mr. and Mrs. Lawson. Meanwhile, I want them here, too. Besides, one bottle won't do any harm. (laughs) Ah, there they are. Let them in, Archie. You remain seated, Mr. Rainey.
13: Okay, Mr. Wolf.
12: Come in, Mr. Lawson. Come in. Mr. Wolf here. He's here.
15: Nice of you to come. Anything to help the law.
10: Ah, Mr. Lawson.
15: Your wife didn't come. Uh, no, Mr. Wolfe. She was out when you called. Sorry, I forgot to tell you. I left her with the butler, however.
10: Mr. Lawson, about 20 minutes ago, a girl named Jerry Fay was killed. So? She was killed in your neighborhood, in the flat formerly occupied by one Pepe Gatto. Where would that be? Maybe your wife knows where the flat would be.
15: How dare you, sir?
10: No histrionics, please. Where was your wife when the girl was killed? I'm advising you that if that is an alibi, now's the time to state it.
15: I wouldn't humiliate Celia by alibying for her.
10: Then the police
15: will pick her up. But she didn't kill this girl, Mr. Wolf.
10: You have reasons for that opinion?
15: The best of reasons.
10: I'd be grateful if you'd state them and let me be the judge of their excellence. One
15: should do. This one. Celia's out in the country visiting her mother. Oh? Does that
10: settle it? Possibly. What's her mother's telephone number?
15: Why, uh... Merely a routine check. Well, can't you take my
10: word? I'll take her mother's number. Well, Mr. Lawson?
15: I'm sorry. I I hoped you'd buy this story. What do you mean? Her mother's been dead for ten years. I see. Well, I don't. What's the idea?
10: It's known as marital devotion, Archie. I suppose you realize, Mr. Lawson That in shielding your wife You're aiding and abetting a murderer I
15: I haven't stopped to realize anything When Goodwin brought me that hat I didn't know what to say Oh, you pitched me a curve then, too Well, I suppose you might call it that, but And she didn't lose the chapeau off a bus stop No, but you've got to understand
13: Celia's the dearest thing in life to me Yeah, so's a lady rattlesnake to its husband
10: I suggest it is time for you to be objective in this matter, Mister Lawson. What do you want to know? Tell us where she can be found.
15: I, I have no idea.
10: When is she expected to return home?
15: Never. Oh, huh? you see, we we had an argument. I doubt that I'll ever see her again.
10: Then we are quite on our own, Archie. To do what? To make a journey to Gatto's apartment. Gatto's apartment. She probably has a key to that popular abode. But she wouldn't go there, boss. On the contrary, I am of the opinion that that's just where she would go. Give me my hat. Don't tell me you're going to stir yourself. Ah, it's a most unpleasant necessity, Archie. But the lady in question is dangerous and not at all hesitant about indiscriminate gunplay. Get out the car, Archie. We'll make the journey to Rathbun Street penthouse with the hope that Celia Lawson will show up in time to mourn her lost love. Uh, uh, you want me to go along with you too, Mr. Wolf? Yes, indeed, Mr. Rainey, I do. <laughs> uh, I trust this chair will hold me. Should.
13: Biggest chair in the house. Mr. Wolf. Yes, Mr. Rainey. Mr. Wolf, am I to understand that the way you have it figured is that Mrs. Lawson killed Gatto, and then to keep the girl from pinning the crime on her, she killed her, too? What's the matter, Mr. Rainey? Don't you think the theory holds water? Well, yes. I mean, of course it does. Mm,
10: thank you. On the other hand, there is room for doubt.
13: I'm glad to hear you say that, Mr. Wolf.
10: Would you mind explaining? I'll explain, Mr. Lawson. Mr. Goodwin was in this room when Jerry Fay was killed. Right, Archie? Right, boss. He ran as quickly as he could out onto the roof, but your wife was nowhere in evidence.
15: What difference does that make?
10: A good deal, I'd say. Wouldn't you, Archie?
12: Yes, a detail like that would give a jury room
15: for doubt.
13: Oh, don't be a fool.
15: How so, Rainey? I was about to agree with Rainey. I I mean, on sheer
10: logic. I'm afraid I miss your point, Mr. Lawson.
15: What if Goodwin didn't see her? That proves nothing. She fired the shots, and then she ran down the fire escape. What fire escape? The one a few feet beyond the chimney.
10: Mr. Lawson? Yes? Who told you there was a fire escape there?
15: Why, uh... Yeah, I... Yeah, who did? You can't see it from here, Lawson. Well, I, I just imagine there might be.
10: Sensationally accurate imagination, Mr. Lawson. Allow me to congratulate you. I
15: don't know what you have in mind.
10: You have in mind to see your wife convicted of the murder of Pepe Gato. And so punish them both for having dared to fall in love. I love Celia. I worship her. Yes, that's what you expected me to believe, hoping, meanwhile, that I hat would convict her. You worshipped her until she became fascinated by a young savage animal known as Pepe Gato. No. At that point, the worship shifted into reverse, and you went green with hate. Hate that drove you to climb that fire escape that you know so much about and shoot him in the back. You're dreaming. Jerry Faye saw you in the act. And when she was about to divulge your identity to Archie, you killed her too. Meaning to hang her murder on your wife along with the other killing.
15: That's a lie.
10: Mr. Lawson, I didn't bring you here to apprehend your wife. There's really no reason why she should come here. I suggested this visit in the belief that you'd betray some guilty knowledge of the place and circumstances. As you have so obligingly just done. You're clever, aren't you?
15: Monumentally. But a little hasty. So, why? There's gun in my hand.
10: Haven't you noticed? <laughs> of course, sir. But yours is not the only gun in the world. What?
3: Sit still, Arnold. And don't turn around.
10: Your wife, Mr. Lawson. Come in, my dear.
15: Celia, what are you doing here?
14: I came to get a hat that I'd left in Pepe's closet. It suddenly was clear to me what was in the wind. And I thought I'd better remove all evidence
3: that you could possibly use against
15: it. Celia, listen, you must understand I understand for you.
3: one thing only. Pepe's gone. And you took him away. Listen,
15: please. If you yeah. let me explain, you'll understand. Yeah? Please, honey, help me.
14: Sure, I'll help you. Celia. Oh. Oh. Well,
5: that's all, Mr. Wolf. What now? <laughs>
10: Drive. It always get so crowded outside. Will it go tough on her, boss? Why not? She killed a man in cold blood. Though she actually saved our lives while doing so. I hope that helps her at the trial. I hope so, Archie. After all, if she hadn't done what she did, what would have happened to the lobster beast? What lobster beast? The lobster beast that Fritz is making for dinner.
5: <laughs>
10: Hurry, Archie. Really can't be appreciated unless it's eaten hot.
11: You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. <laughs> Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Larry Dobkin as Archie Goodwin, and Ann Diamond, Charlotte Lawrence, Gerald Moore, Don Diamond, and Eddie Fields. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Killer Card. Don Stanley speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Saturday night is date night, and NBC has a lively lineup of music and fun to help your courtin' along. Tomorrow, Dennis Day brings you a melodic and mirthful 30 minutes, and then Judy Canova gets together with her gang for a sparkling session of mountain-style song and laughter, followed by singing MC Red Foley and his friends on that exciting parcel of Western tunes and mayhem Grand Ole Opry. Here's Sam Spade, three chimes mean good times, on NBC.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's My Favorite Husband, followed by Gunsmoke. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast
0: Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.